Welcome to the Blaze Sports Youth Lead podcast channel. Youth Lead is an initiative that helps athletes with physical disabilities succeed on and off the field of play through leadership, employment readiness, self-advocacy, and development. And welcome back to Identifying Your Job and Career Path episode series with Courtney Ding and my co-host Amber Wiggins. Hello, welcome back. Last week, we covered assessing your job and career interests and using the best and easiest tools to do it. In this week's episode, we're going to discuss setting goals and making a plan. So Amber, tell us what's the importance of having a structure and a plan at this stage in the game? Well, I like to look at it as if you were in school. Your teachers probably made you turn in some sort of outline before your big essay or test or presentation. And really, it's just necessary in guiding you and how you want to achieve your goals. Whether you choose to be extremely detail-oriented with the planning, you may say, I'm going to save this much money in the next six months or the next year. I'm going to apply to these programs because they fit the needs of what I'm looking to do. They have the degrees that I need. Um, I'm going to go and work in these positions and volunteer volunteer at these sites because they'll give me a more robust experience for the job that I'm looking for. Or it could simply be more overarching ideas, saying I know that I want to work with animals. I'm going to check out, you know, the nearest veterinary hospital, or see if I can volunteer. Yeah, PetSmart. Um, Either way, there has to be some sort of thought process that you're putting into it. Mm -hmm. Um, There are different paths that you could take. You could go workforce Mm -hmm. versus trade school versus college. Um, Now, talking about that, so with workforce, are you meaning that I can just go straight to work from school with my high school diploma? I can go to Walmart. I can go to Winn-Dixie. I can go to Publix. I can go to Ross. I can just apply for a job and they'll accept me? Yes. And for trade school, let's see. I don't need a four-year degree, right, for a trade school. So if I want to be a mechanic, I can just go there and develop my skill set and I can just work on cars like I've been doing with my dad my whole life and just get certified in it. Absolutely. Or if I want to become a cosmetologist, I can go to cosmetology school because I just like to do Mm here. I don't have to get a four-year degree for that. Correct. Okay. And so for college... Does it have to be four years? No, not always. They have community colleges. Typically, those are more two-year degrees, and you can get your associates. A a lot of them will feed into the major universities. So if you've decided that you've finished those two years and you want to apply that to a four-year degree, a lot of them will transfer the credits over, and you're able to finish the last two years at the major university and get the bachelor's degree that you want. Okay. Um, there's also, you know, higher education. You can get your master's. You can go doctoral level. But that's why it's important to research your career field to determine what path is going to be the most appropriate for you. Because like you mentioned, for a mechanic or, say, a truck driver, you know, you could go to a community college and get your associates but it may be more beneficial to go to that trade school to get through that training program and get certified so that you can go ahead and get to work 
both paths would still get you where you want to be, but it's just adding unnecessary steps in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, another example would be if you were wanting to be a contractor, it might make more sense for you to graduate high school and go the workforce path, you know, get hired on as entry level with a big contracting company, build your catalog, get the skill sets that you need. And then when you're comfortable, you could always break off and start your own company. Um, all of it, you have to really tailor to what your career field is. So that's why, again, we're doing this series to kind of help you navigate that and at least explore. So if you were to go the college route, I think the first question, the biggest question, elephant in the room. how are we going to pay for it? It's expensive. Uh, Courtney, tell us a little bit about financial aid and what that process looks like when you're applying. So the first thing that everyone should do, no matter your financial <clears throat> excuse me, your financial situation is apply for FAFSA, which stands for the free, and I'm going to say that again, the free application for federal student aid. And what that does is <clears throat> you fill out this application and you can fill it out with um, fill it out with your parent or guardian or if you're an independent student or you're emancipated, which means you know you legally take care of yourself, you fill that out with all of your information, whether you receive, you know, um, any source of income, whether it be disability, um, which is that SSI or SSDI, whatever it is. And based on the inputs that you put into the system, it's gonna give you something called an EFC number. And don't let that alarm you. It's basically your expected family contribution. Sometimes it can be zero. Sometimes it can be a thousand, fifteen hundred, twelve thousand. That's just what's expected, like quote unquote. It's not a definite number. And what that does, they send that to all the universities that you apply to. So whatever schools you want to go to, you make sure you put that in your FAFSA application so they can send it off. Mm -hmm. So all the schools you apply to will get that. And if you're accepted to these schools, they'll send you something back, you know, with your acceptance letter saying, hey, you qualify for this scholarship with us, you qualify for this grant with us, which we'll go into that a little bit more later. But with FAFSA, you also qualify for loans. Yes, loans. And as we discuss this, the first thing we want to say, take only what you need. We can both tell you from experience. Don't be greedy. It seems like you're getting these huge paychecks while you're in school and it's fun and it's great, but typically there is interest that's accumulating and it will come back to bite you once you graduate. Um, there are different types of loans. So there's one that is subsidized. Now that one is based on financial need. The interest is not going to accrue while you're in school. These direct subsidized loans are available to undergraduate students, so people who are getting their bachelor's degrees with financial needs. So they will be looking at your income, your parents' income to determine what you would need to attend the university. The school will determine how much you can borrow and they'll give you a cap on what you can use per year. While you're in school, the U.S. Department of Education will be paying that interest. While you're enrolled for at least half time, which is typically six credit hours. And then once you graduate, 
you have what they call a grace period, well, they will continue to pay the interest for the first six months. If you have financial hardship, if you know that you are going to be going back to school and you've been accepted, they have a deferment period. And what that means is that they will postpone those loan payments so that you're not having to be responsible for them during that time. The other side of that is an unsubsidized loan. With this loan, as soon as you accept it, interest begins to accrue. You have the option to pay that interest as you go, or it will continue to compound as you go on. And when I say compound, that means if you had a loan, they gave you $100, and the interest for the first month was $10. So come February, your balance is now $110. Well, when the interest hits for February, it's doing the interest for that 110, not the original 100. You get to March and it's doing the interest off of the the balance you had the previous month and whatever else you've accrued. And it just continues to build and build and build. And that's not to scare you. Um, These loans are available to both undergraduate and graduate students. It's not based on financial need. The school will still determine how much you can borrow, but you're going to be responsible for paying that interest. Now, again, just be smart. It seems like a good idea sometimes in the moment, but really look at what you would need to sustain yourself if that's for living expenses, you know, if that's for transportation, room and board on campus, books and fees but you don't wanna exceed that because it will come back to get you once you graduate and you're having to pay on that. Um, Courtney, you wanna tell us about the other types of funding? You said grants and scholarships. So with grants, grants are um, like scholarships, grants are free, well, grants are free money. Free. Free money. (laughs) So when you fill out fast for just a circle back, They'll determine whether or not you're eligible to receive a Pell Grant, which is free money, unlike the sub and unsub loans. You don't have to pay that back. Right. That is to help toward funding your education. Right. Scholarships, also known as free money. Um, there are scholarships for everything you can imagine. And some scholarships, you might have to write an essay. Some scholarships, you might have to draw. There are scholarships out there for people who are lefties. There's Scott, well, left handy if you don't know what lefties are. Um, There's scholarships for people who know how to yodel. There's scholarships for people who are in the top 10% of their classes. There are a ton of minority scholarships. There are scholarships for sports teams, bands, choirs, disabilities, anything you can think of. Um, Some scholarships you might have heard heard of or be familiar with are the Bill Gates and um, the Hope Scholarship funds and the GI Bill as well yes so for example um, the GI Bill came out after my father um, was honorably discharged from the military however if he was still in the military when this bill came out when I got ready to go to college as well as my sister that would have been something that would have been able to help us like some of my other classmates who parents were still in the military or discharged after a certain year they were able to apply and be granted that bill and it helped for fun, free money to fund education. There's so many ways. 
Yes, and it is important to point out though, that with some scholarships, they often come with stipulations. Yes. You may have to maintain a certain grade point average. You may have to meet certain performance goals on sports teams or within a band or a choir. So it's important to look at what they're expecting when they're offering you the scholarship. That is absolutely correct. One last thing I want to point out while we're on this topic, because I know we are working with Blade Sports, that there are colleges that are trying to attract those with disabilities and recognizing the need for offering adaptive sports programs as part of a well-rounded academic experience for their incoming students or transferring students. And some of the colleges I just want to touch base on and kind of go into what are the adaptive sports that they do offer. So bear with me. This is kind of a long list, but I want you guys to hear it all. Bring it on. So I'm going to give you the top 21. So you have Auburn University, and they have wheelchair basketball, wheelchair tennis, accessible strength and cardio machines available, and they have hand cycles for recreational use. Ball State University offers power soccer and wheelchair basketball. Um, Indiana State University at Purdue University, Fort Wayne, offers wheelchair basketball. Michigan State University offers recreational sports that include adaptive fitness centers, swimming, goalball, wheelchair tennis, and basketball, and floor hockey. Ohio State's programs include aquatics, fitness classes, outdoor adventure, which is canoeing, kayaking, hiking, and backpacking, indoor climbing, and personal training. Um, Penn State University and their clubs, they offer wheelchair basketball, run, walk, and roll races, seated volleyball, adaptive soccer, and shield hockey. Portland State University, they have an inclusive recreational program that features an overnight ski trip, wheelchair basketball tournaments, adaptive climbing, swimming, goalball, and in a whole um, adaptive gym. Um, Texas A&M, they have basketball, football, soccer, and seating, and then UCLA has adaptive cycling, adaptive tennis, and warm run activities, just to name a few, but we'll put the link for all of this in the description. Nice. And while we're talking about different resources that are available to you, I think it's important to point out some of the community resources. I agree. Um, for example, we've mentioned in the previous episode, Georgia Vocational Rehabilitation Agency. So for individuals with disabilities, they are primed to help you both in figuring out your goals, taking the correct steps, and also with the funding. If you are on disability, if you receive SSI or SSDI, you are automatically approved for Georgia Voc Rehab yes. to pay for your education, to pay for your room and board. These are things that you should be taking advantage of. Um, if Even if you are not on disability, if they find it feasible, they would still assist you with the cost of attendance. Now, depending on your age and some other factors, they might look into, you know, how much income you've generated or what your parents' income is, and they may participate on what they call a sliding scale based off of what they feel you would need. But it is still a great resource if you're looking to go back to school or if, you know, you're looking to go through a training program or a trade school, 
they can assist with that as well. Or if you're simply looking to go into the workforce, they're available to help you when you're looking, you know, for different job availabilities. They can help you with your resumes and, you know, working on what's going to be presentable. What do you wear to an interview? Uh, Courtney and I work for the Epilepsy Foundation of Georgia, and we assist individuals with epilepsy in doing the same thing. Blaze Sports, obviously, you know, they are working with you guys. We're doing this podcast series. All of these resource centers, um, what else? The, the YMCA, Boys and Girls Club, Girl Scouts. Boy Scouts, everybody. So many resources. And again, we'll have these links available for you. But we just want you to know that we get that it's overwhelming. We get that there can be a lot of steps, but there is a lot of help out there ready to get you where you want to be. Don't forget to ask questions if you do not understand. Always. And so just to recap, you know, this episode, we wanted to kind of break down the different types of paths you can take, Mm -hmm. why it's important to have some type of plan in place so that you're not wasting your time or wasting resources, the different types of funding that is available to you guys. Um, And I think that will wrap us up for this episode. You want to carry us on out? All right. Thank you. Thank you guys for tuning in. In the next episode, we are going to discuss the job interview. Please check out the links, like we said, in the description below for all of the valuable information we have given you guys today. And we will see you next time. See you then. Bye.